Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, the man on the call for Sunday's game in Baltimore on CBS, the great Charles Davis joins us to break down the Dolphins and this massive, massive game in the AFC. Really fun chat. Plus, Mike McDaniel's Friday media, as well as a look at the AFC playoff picture and my attempt to confuse the crap out of every single one of you from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. Let's kick it off here with my interview with the great Charles Davis. Joining me today is the man you'll hear on the call for Sunday's massive, massive Dolphins and Ravens tilt. Charles Davis, CD, good to see you again, man. And how was your holiday season? Or I guess, how is it going so far? It's going great, Travis. I appreciate you asking. I trust the same for you and everyone who can see us and hear us doing this. So uh, yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful. And I guess if I were a Dolphin, it'd be really wonderful. Big win last week going into it. Have a position in a position now to possibly be the number one seed in the AFC, win the AFC East. All their goals are still out there in front of them, and it's really pretty cool to watch. I don't recall a Christmas that was more fun than this one. I think 15 years ago, the last time the team won the division, they beat the Jets in the Meadowlands with Chad Pennington to win the AFC East three days after Christmas. That might be the last time we had this much fun around the holiday. Let's go ahead and get into this game that's on New Year's Eve and start with kind of the 10,000-foot view of this game because what a fun matchup. Both teams coming off their biggest wins of the season. And I have to imagine as a play-by-play, or rather a color commentator, this matchup here is one that you dream of when the schedule comes out, right? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And we saw it you know, on the schedule that looked like it was one for, for us and our team. And then as things kept going, as the Dolphins kept winning, as Baltimore kept winning, this game got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, let's not kid ourselves. We thought there's a good chance that it might be flexed, become the Sunday night game. There's a possibility of it flipping from 415 to one, you know, to the one o'clock game. I mean, from one o'clock to 415. And, you know, then that would be in the prime spot. And that'd be Jim and Tony for our crew, our number one team taking the game. And understandably so but somehow we were able to keep it so we're thrilled about it i think anyone who's watching it doesn't matter who's broadcasting it they're just thrilled that the game's on i mean you're talking about number one and two in the afc right now and either one of them can be number one when it's all said and done and both of them with really impressive wins against really recognizable teams so if you're just a fan of the nfl and you're not a fan of the dolphins or a fan of baltimore who did they beat last week? Oh, Baltimore went to San Francisco and jumped on them on, on Monday night on Christmas night. Who did Miami just beat? Oh, they just beat the Dallas Cowboys, who people keep talking about. And maybe Dak Prescott, maybe he's the MVP of the league. Oh, now you have everyone's attention, right? What is that we do all the time? I'm listening. Yeah, everyone's listening and watching at this point. So that's the big one. Obviously, the quarterbacks are a feature. The way Tua Tungvaloa took the challenge last year to find a way to stay healthy and deliver he's done that and then some 2,000 yard receivers and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, 1,000 yard running back and Raheem Moster who is 437 years old getting it done it is the <laughs> coolest thing but you flip it over to to Lamar Jackson he doesn't have a thousand yard receiver he doesn't have a thousand yard runner the ball gets spread a little bit more he's still the focal point his legs are still a factor and we'll see how it gets done both of them getting it done at a really high level 
probably in a little bit different fashion. That was my follow-up question was the way the styles make the fights, right? But I want to go back to this because you talked about the emotional, I guess, investment into big victories and how teams have to find a way to recreate that every single week. It kind of fascinates me because to me, that's why there's so many upsets across the NFL where maybe some teams, you can't have the same energy level for all 17 games, right? Like it's just not possible. So I'm curious how you think that impacts both these teams coming off these huge wins, but also how these big games down the stretch for Miami, Dallas, Baltimore, Buffalo, is that a good thing to go into the playoffs playing against the best teams in the league to kind of prepare you for the schedule that's going to come up in the playoffs? I'll, I'll start with Baltimore very quickly yeah, on sure. that. Because of where they've been in the last 15, 16 years under John Harbaugh, this is kind of standard operating procedure for them. They expect to be in the playoffs. When they're not, it's a surprise. I think this will be the 11th time in the playoffs in his 16 years as a head coach, so you get the whole idea. You know, he's a head coach who's won a Super Bowl, used to his teams getting deep, but they haven't in recent years. I think the last four times out, they've been one and done, whether it's been a divisional or a wild card game. They want to get that corrected, but they're used to it. Play like a Raven. You know that. You hear it everywhere. Every week, they expect to be in those kind of games, and they believe the AFC North gets you prepared for that and how you go about doing it. Flip it over to Miami now. All season long, what has Miami been dealing with? Who are you? Who have you beat? Yeah, beat anyone that's that good, you know? So that's been a problem for them in terms of just having to deal with that week in and week out. Well, no longer. <laughs> you you just beat a team that at one point was vying for the number one seed in the NFC, has a quarterback that's mentioned for MVP and Dak Prescott, big-time players all across the board, one of the better defenses in the league. Okay, so that's out the window now. But, oh, your schedule's been really soft all along. Okay, fine. So we finished with Dallas. We finished with Baltimore. We finished with Buffalo, which may or may not have a bearing on the AFC East and the playoffs. That tough enough for you folks? I think, right. I think it's a really good thing for Miami because I don't see them shying away from the challenge. Yeah, we're very excited about the challenge and the opportunity to come up here and win these big games and put ourselves in position to get a one seed potentially and host every playoff game here because this team is tough to beat across the street over there at Hard Rock Stadium. One more win on the road will put them in a good position to clinch home field for the playoffs. Let's go back to the previous thing you mentioned, CD, about styles and how they make fights, right? Like we always have heard that for, for years and years now in football and any sport. The Dolphins, the fastest team in football, the Ravens, you talked about it, a program built over the last two plus decades that's tough, physical, gritty, can beat you up in the trenches. How do these two teams' styles make for an even more intriguing matchup? Because 12-3 and three and 11-4 and is pretty great, but when you get these two contrasting styles, it makes it even more fun, doesn't it? It really does, and let's just hone in on the way you describe it, Travis, because I think you pretty much hit it. I mean, there's there's no other way to really have to go about doing it. Speed versus muscle, if we want to just boil it down that way. It's not speed versus toughness, because I'm not taking away Miami's toughness, because what people miss is that Miami's number four ranked defense. So don't act like that they can't play either. And ever since Jalen Ramsey's come back, boy, things have really accelerated for that defense. So Speed versus muscle, all right? Patrick Queen talked about this week. I'm pretty sure his quote is up all over. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to get to that. <laughs> that no one else plays the style we play, and we just hit you in the mouth, and, they, you know, good luck running past that. That's where it all comes into play. But within all of that, there are other truths that are there. Does Miami have speed? Sure. But do they have toughness to run the football? Absolutely. Okay. Flip it over to the Baltimore. Do they have the toughness? We know that, right? The muscle, we know they want to hit you and all that. 
Have you ever watched those two linebackers run in Queen and Roquan, Roquan Smith? Have Very you quick. seen, you know, what you get <laughs> with the hybrid when, when, when Kyle Hamilton's at his best at free safety? Or is he a slot corner? Or is he an edge rusher? Or is he in the box as a linebacker? Or is it, he does it all. So that's just a few examples that within all of that, yes, overarching themes, but within those themes, both of these teams have a lot of what the other team has. That's why it's going to be a lot of fun. Plus, we got to go back to last year. It was 35-14. Thing was done. Like everybody was clicking TVs. Everybody was going to another game. Everybody was checking red zone. And the Dolphins came back and got it done. You think that's not being played in the Baltimore dressing room all week? I think it's probably going to come up once or twice. Probably the most fun the Dolphins fans have had in a long time at that point. Now, this season probably replaces a lot of those fun moments from 2022. But, yeah, I'm sure both teams thinking about that game in a lot of ways going back to that. And you talked about the Dolphins, you know, ability to run the football and play strong defense. I'm glad you did because I wanted to follow up and say, I don't want to sound like I'm calling the Dolphins my own team here finesse because they're not that. When they had to have a game-winning drive, they saddled up Jeff Wilson and went back to a power gap scheme to beat the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday to get those first downs and put them in field goal range with no time on the clock. So that's definitely part of their style. And speaking of, of team styles, we saw the Ravens play both San Francisco and Los Angeles in the last couple of weeks here. Probably the two offensive systems that most closely resemble Miami's. I'm, I'm curious, do you think that that would give either side an advantage in this game? Because the Ravens just shut down San Francisco. Los Angeles had some success. I'm curious, do you think it benefits Ravens having played against it, the Dolphins getting film on it, or is it a total wash? I, I think ultimately it becomes a wash because what it does is allow you to become familiar with them and then be able to relate what you just saw on tape to something you just did. Ah, oh, yeah. Didn't that feel a lot like, remember third quarter when, when San Francisco ran such and such? Remember in the third quarter when, you know, Dallas ran such and such? That looks a lot like that. So you're equating things, right? You're like, you're, you're putting it all there. It's kind of like when we do the draft and we comp guys. He reminds me of, and then you tell why. And so people get that fix in their head and their minds. Uh, and that's how you're relaying that, whether it's Vic Fangio or, or Frank Smith or whoever's, they're relaying things to their respective units about what they're seeing. The other part is it's still done differently, even though the systems are similar. The way Brock Purdy plays quarterback, the way that, you know, uh, Dak Prescott plays quarterback, different than what they're going to get come, come Sunday, right? Different than what you're going to get when Lamar does it or when Tua does it. So all that goes into the hopper. And then let's be honest about it, okay? The Rams. Wonderful receivers, Puka, Cooper Cup, the whole deal. San Francisco, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, all that, right? Then you flip it over. C.D. Lamb, Gallup, right? You know, Tony Pollard out of the backfield. You're getting used to these guys, but do they equate to who you're dealing with on Sunday? I think it's a tougher match for Baltimore because if Jalen Waddle's able to go, Tyreek Hill, that's different than just about anyone else you're going to play all year long. That's what changes things a little bit. And then, of course, when you come out of the backfield with Mostert, who may be 30-plus years old but still running like he's 18, and A-Chan, because when A-Chan came out of school, Travis, I equated him to a bigger uh, D'Anthony Thomas, mm -hmm. Black Mamba. The ability to go from 0 to 100 within about two steps, that's what I saw with him coming out, and now you're seeing it when he's healthy and playing. So it's going to be fun to watch because, yes, they can equate things, but now these things actually move come Sunday. 
All right. It's not just chalk. It's not just tape that you're watching. Now that movement starts to happen. So you'll have an idea, but now you have to go deal with them for real. This uh, guy from the Pacific Northwest loves the Black Mamba com uh, comparison there with DeAnthony Thomas. I was He was so much fun to watch at Oregon back in the day. What a great comp that was. I want to kind of follow up there because you talk about some of the sizzle there the Dolphins have on offense with all the speed and the weapons. But one thing that I think has really made this offense click and go all year long has been those kind of ancillary pieces, the guys that you don't get a lot of shine in terms of being up on the marquee with all the catches and big rushing totals. I'm talking about Durham Smythe, Alec Ingold, rookie Julian Hill coming across as that true Y who motions and split flow and takes out the edge. What have you seen from those pieces for this Dolphins offense and how critical are they to Mike McDaniel's system? Yeah, throw in Cedric Wilson. Yep. You know, I mean, you've got a number of guys that know that they're not the primary guys. But if we're going to kick coverages, if we're going to throw the extra guy in on, on coverage with those guys, if someone's not available and able to play, other people have to fill the breach and step up. And because Mike McDaniel has so many different people and opportunities, he can adjust his, himself during game. If this isn't working, I can go here. If that's not working, I can go there. Are, are these guys having a better matchup up front in the blocking? I can go there. The guys on the offensive line have been the unsung heroes because that's a line that's changed and changed and changed and changed. But guess what? Whoever has had to step up and play has done a pretty darn good job. And when you're talking about the fact that they can run and be a little grimy and gritty inside running the ball, that's right up Robert Jones's alley. Okay. He's had to come in and play for Robert Hunt. He's done that quite well. He wants to move people in the running game. Eichenberg, I think he's a little more comfortable doing that since he had to go in and fill in at center for Connor Williams. You know, Austin Jackson at right tackle. I do think that fits what they like to do. And Kendall Lamb's been a real MVP for them, his ability to step in and play and not miss a beat because, you know, Dallas can bring the heat off the edge in the pass rush. You mentioned some guys like you talk about grit. Austin Jackson, Kendall Lamb, Robert Jones, those guys have plenty of grit in their back pocket as well. Really good stuff. I have a couple more questions for you here, CD. You want to take a quick break here? Drive Time Podcast, my guest today, Charles Davis. You'll hear him on the call on CBS on Sunday. We'll come back on the other side here and talk a little bit about this Dolphins defense, Lamar Jackson, Tua Tungavailoa. That's all next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Back here with my guest, Charles Davis, CBS. You'll hear him on the call with Ian Eagle and Evan Washburn on Sunday on CBS, 1 o'clock from Baltimore. CD, I have three more questions for you here, and we're going to go back to the Dolphins' win over Dallas because we mentioned that kind of gritty, grind it out, running the ball, screen game, third down conversion, take what the defense is there, drive the Dolphins had to put away the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. I'm curious what that meant or what you think that might mean for a 25-year-old quarterback who, like you talk about, all these narratives, right? Can't throw the deep ball, hits deep balls all the time. Can't engineer a game-winning drive in December. Does it against a top defense here? Can't win without Tyreek. Did that two weeks ago. I'm curious what you think this recent success and that game in particular, that drive, can do for this team and this quarterback. It's funny because I think from the outside world, Travis, this is, oh, wow, they did that. Oh, wow, that's amazing. I think internally, whether it's Tua or the rest of the team, it's just validation. Oh, yeah, we knew we, we've we done things. We've done, like you talked about when you see certain criticisms about Tua, what he can't do. I had someone call me yesterday and say, yeah, just not really big on him because I just don't think he, you know, hits his receivers in the right spots. And I just stared at the person like, what are you watching? <laughs> That's one of the, one of the best parts of his game yeah, yeah. is accuracy to hit a receiver and keep him on his feet in the right spot to make sure that receiver drops down. So he doesn't get tagged by the post safety when he throws a skinny post in the, in the 
It's one of the best, that's one of the best things he does. And you're telling me you don't see that? I can't have conversations then. We're, we're done here, right? Yeah. So for them, that's what it comes down to. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was when Tua was talking about he doesn't listen to the critics or whatever, but he keeps receipts. In other words, you're listening, okay? But you know what you're doing with it. And however you want to deal with it is up to you. It's working for Tua. I think that finally what I saw out of him, I saw a little fire when he talked about, hey, say whatever it is you want to say. I got 2,000-yard receivers. I got a 1,000-yard running back. When I thought, when I saw that, and uh, you know what it hit me with, Travis? Name a great quarterback who hasn't had a pretty darn good surrounding cast. I don't got one for you. (laughs) Best of all time through the two Hall of Fame wide receivers and a tight end who was probably an all-decade tight end in Dallas Clark. Drew Brees. How many different great receivers did he have running through there? And that joker back that could play, whether it was Reggie Bush or Alvin Kamara or any of those, they build around the talents of that person. Those are just two examples. It's rare that you're talking about a quarterback being great without having that supporting cast that can help. Now, we do have a little bit of a contrast in this one. Tua's got the 2,000-yard receivers. He's got the 1,000-yard running back. Lamar Jackson has none of that. And the last time we had an MVP, a quarterback, win an award, win that award without a 1,000-yard receiver or 1,000-yard running back, that's 22 MVPs ago. The last two were Elway and Brett Favre. It doesn't happen without having those people around you, okay? So he's doing it a little bit different way in terms of getting people going, but it's not like they're not talented. Go ahead and not cover, or, or you know, Odell Beckham Jr. Go ahead and try that. <laughs> don't, 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 don't guard Zay Flowers, right? Isaiah Likely, the tight end, filling in for Mark Andrews. It's just they go about it differently because they're such a heavy run team. That context is, is exactly why I wanted to have you on the show this week, Charles. I appreciate you uh, diving into that for us. I have one more question here. I'll go ahead and put two together for you here because you touched on Miami's defense and the stout performances they have displayed Really all year, they had got off to a slow start, but it really clicked in when Jalen Rams returned to the field. And they've been top three in so many key categories since he came back in week eight. So my two-part question is, how have you seen Ramsey's impact on this Fangio scheme and how it kind of drives the defense? And then also, you talked about him a lot. How the heck do you slow down Lamar Jackson? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, with Lamar, let's just start with that because Vic Fangio knows way better than I do. Obviously, he's going to forget more football between now and the end of the week than I will. (laughs) learn in my entire life that's just who Vic Fangio is but what most people do when I've what I've seen when they have success okay however you want to define success (laughs) is a lot of people are worried about blitzing him because when you blitz him if you miss and he gets out and goes he kills you this year he's changed his game a little bit with the blitzing he's actually beating you throwing the football so that'll be interesting to see what Vic wants to do with that because he's not a heavy blitz guy to begin with but a lot of people will run more more pressures at him to try and hem him in and make him keep him occupied a little bit more, looking at them as opposed to looking downfield. That's one way. The other way, you just better hope he's off. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> now, the team that I think has had the most success with him in recent years is Pittsburgh. If there's one tape I'm going to watch, and you know Vic has watched every tape going, I'm watching Pittsburgh to see what they've done over the last three, four seasons to have success with him. And they had it again this year, even though Baltimore should have beaten them the first time out. They had success in, in not letting him really do do his thing. So we'll we'll see how that part goes. The flip side of all this stuff, what was this, what was the other part of the question? Because I got locked in on the market. Yeah, yeah. My bad. It's how Ramsey has driven this defense. Oh, yeah, Ramsey, to turn around. Oh, yeah. Thank you. But you know, you know, Winnie the Pooh brain here. My bad. <laughs> um, 
Ramsey coming back now stabilizes your secondary because now when Xavier Howard is ready to go and he's uh, he's locked in, he's good. Jalen's there. You're not worried about people having to fill in in other spots. It's allowed the safeties to be way more aggressive in coverage because they feel like they're covered underneath with those with those backs, uh, with the with the corners. And you can play more games with them. If you have someone you want to do something, you want to do a little bit of a, a you know a robber coverage or show one thing and then dive into a hole and all of a sudden they don't they can't believe you're in the post. You can do a number of things like that with it. And we're seeing Brandon Jones get that done, right? Javon Holland's such a great player. They've missed him. But Brandon Jones has played awfully well for him filling in. So I like everything that they're doing back there. But Ramsey also brings with him the swagger, the belief, the confidence. Hey, if we're going to play, I'm going to show you how it is, guys. Just follow me. And he came off of a knee injury and was nails right from the beginning. So the overall aura and essence that he brings to that defense, we've seen it pay off. And I think it's epitomized, truthfully, by Zach Sealer. Because this guy, contract extension in the offseason, how many people notice he got a contract extension outside of Miami? Probably not many, yeah. <laughs> now we're eight-plus sacks later. We're getting interceptions in, in, in primetime games and taking them to the end zone. We're stuffing the run all the time. He's giving Christian Wilkins a heck of a running mate to go up there with him and Raekwon Davis. It epitomizes it for me because I've seen him make plays in other places before, but to see what he's doing now, and now getting his due, he kind of he kind of exemplifies what's going on with this Miami defense. Everyone has a role to fill, and they're filling it quite well. I talked about him in my preview podcast where I said that he got out of Baltimore. He got waived in December his rookie year and winds up down here and kind of brought some of that mentality of the Ravens defense to Miami with him. Charles, great stuff. Charles Davis on the call Sunday at 1 o'clock in Baltimore on CBS. Ian Eagle, Evan Washburn, CD, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the game and have a fantastic new year up there in the DMV. All right. Thanks a lot, Travis. Always great to talk with you. Congrats on everything, and I'll see you again soon. Legitimately one of the nicest human beings you could possibly find in the world. Uh, let's go ahead and finish up this segment here as we move on from the Dolphins and Ravens talk and talk a little AFC playoff picture because this thing is muddy as hell, as muddy as I can possibly remember it, and it is nice to be on top of the muddy waters in terms of not having to worry about Team X losing one game, but not a second game in order for Team Y to do this and for the Dolphins to have this accomplishment. Like, you're already in. You don't have to worry about that. But I do think there is some value in looking at potential playoff matchups, right? Because I think we all have the same feeling for who we would like to see in certain scenarios. We all obviously want the number one seed. But if you get that second seed, what's the best opportunity to advance and get your first playoff win in 23 years so we can stop hearing about the failures of the 2009 team and how it impacts the 2023 team. Because that's the narrative I'm hearing, right? My favorite podcast around the NFL. <clears throat> one of my favorite podcasts because it's football, but more because of the characters on the show. But one of the characters is a diehard Jets fan who keeps bringing up, if you want your respect, you have to win your first playoff game in 23 years. I hate that what happened in 2004 impacts what the Dolphins have done this season in terms of outgaining their opponents by more than anybody else besides like seven teams in the history of the National Football League. This team deserves its flowers regardless of what 2012 
Miami Dolphins football was. So that upsets me. So this idea of how can we shed that and get our first playoff victory, it might come in the wild card round, it might come in the divisional round, it might come at home or on the road. There's all kinds of possibilities. But I wanted to look at the picture in its entirety right now because I thought that we'd get some more crystallization of the picture right now, but the truth is we don't have any idea what it might look like. We did get a little bit, a little bit, of crystallization in the AFC playoff picture because we know the Browns right now are locked into the five seed unless unless they beat Cincinnati and the Ravens lose to both us and Pittsburgh. I don't think that will happen. For us, you know the drill, right? We could wind up with the one seed or the two seed. Those two spots are the most likely, or we could wind up as the six seed. The seven seed is a, a not possible. It's not possible. Uh, the five seed also is not possible because if we lose both, Cleveland would have the tiebreaker even if they lose to the Bengals in week 18. So the purpose of this exercise is to think about potential matchups and who you might want to root for over the final two weeks of the season. And yes, I know, take care of business, nothing else will matter. Sure, but we would not be living up to our entire show mission statement here of being the most comprehensive Dolphins podcast if we did not flesh those things out because... I like the entire National Football League, even though the Dolphins don't have to get any help. I like knowing what's going on and who has to win to get certain spots. And it makes me intrigued to think about who that first round matchup could be in the event we wind up as that number two seed. So Baltimore, right? The one, the two, or the five, like we've mentioned. Kansas City, their magic number in the AFC West is one. It's very, 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 very likely they get the three seed. There's an outside chance of the four seed. Now, they could fall into the wild card, but I very much doubt that happens. The four belongs most likely to the winner of the AFC South. I think it'll be Jacksonville, but we can't possibly know that. It is a three-way tie right now. The Jags have the tiebreaker on both Indy and Houston, and they finish with the Panthers and the Titans. Two games they should win, but they've also lost to worse teams over the stretch. So who the hell knows? Houston and the Titans or has the Titans, rather, and the Colts, and the Colts have the Raiders and the Texans. And this is where it all gets so, so interesting because I'm of the belief the worst-case scenario for Miami is the two-seed, and I know, I know, the six is in play, but I don't think this team will lose back-to-back games. So to me, the seven-seed is of maximum interest because that could be your first-round matchup and your chance to ditch a 23-year playoff drought and a bunch of narratives that go along with that. It's almost as attractive to me as the one seed for some reasons, but also because it, like, there are so many permutations. The, the, there are scenarios where we're playing at home as the one and in the divisional round against either Cleveland, Jacksonville, or Las Vegas. That would be awesome, right? That's ideal. Like That's on the table. But so is getting Las Vegas or Denver or Pittsburgh or Houston or Indy in the wild card round in the two versus seven game. And who you beat over the final two Remember, getting the two means you only win one of the last two games. The two seed would come as a result of a one and one record. If you go 2-0, and you get the one seed. If you go 0-2, most likely you're in the sixth seed because Buffalo would just have to beat the Patriots, and that's the only other thing that has to happen for that to be the case. So that depends on which of the games you win. If you beat Buffalo but not Baltimore, there's a really good chance that Buffalo is that seven seed and you see them for a rematch one week later, which I think that's the worst case scenario, right? I don't, I'm not fearing Buffalo. I think that we're a much better football team than Buffalo as evidenced by the fact that they have lost a lot of games to a lot of bad teams and almost lost to the freaking Chargers. If not for a really good third and nine completion in that game, they probably lose that game. I'm not afraid of that team. Like this whole Buffalo is going to come in here and romp Miami. Get the hell out of here. No, they're not. They're just not. Okay. They're not a better team. I don't care what you say. 
if you lose to Buffalo in Week 18, but you beat Baltimore, Buffalo is almost guaranteed to get the sixth seed if they beat the Patriots. That's where they will be. So if your goal is to not play Buffalo back-to-back weeks, which I think we can all agree is the worst-case scenario, right? It's not afraid of them, but it's the worst-case scenario. If your goal is to not play Buffalo back-to-back weeks and achieve that top two seed, the key is really just to win in Baltimore because that takes care of any rematch scenario for the most part. There is a slight chance, but for the most part, that would be the best way to avoid that 2 versus 7 Miami versus Buffalo game because if you win in Week 18, you would avoid any game in the wild card round, right? But if you lose, Buffalo most likely gets to um, 11, yeah, 11 and 6 and that 6 seed in the AFC playoffs. So if your goal is to not play those guys, beat Baltimore this week, and you probably will achieve that goal. But then if Buffalo pulls an upset in round one, you probably see them back here for the divisional round in that first playoff game for Miami if they're the one seed. Unless the seven seed then knocked off Baltimore. It's but if KC were to beat Buffalo in that three versus six game, then you'd host the winner of the AFC South versus Cleveland game. Again, there are many permutations. Now, getting back into it, so the one two is Baltimore, maybe Cleveland, but I doubt it, and then Miami and Buffalo, right? That's the options there. With the six seed being Miami or Buffalo, the three is most likely KC, and the four is most likely the AFC South winner, and Cleveland is most likely the five seed. So the entire AFC South is basically in play for that seven seed. And that's where I want to look at the f- the potential seven seed options in wildcard weekend in the event that we're hosting the game here as the two seed. Here's your options. Buffalo is one of them, right? Las Vegas, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Houston, Cincinnati, and Denver. I mean, that is seven teams that if they came to Miami, I'm guessing are at least touchdown underdogs in that wild card round. So the permutations are, again, vast. Let's do it this way because there are endless tiebreakers that come into play. There are scenarios where you have three or four, maybe even five teams that tie with the same record for that seven and six spot. So rather than sorting it out, let's just do this. The New York Times playoff machine gives us the playoff odds. Let's see what teams' percentages or odds are if they finish 10 and 7 because that's most likely what it will take to get in at the 7th seed in the AFC. So at 10 wins, here are the team's chances. Jacksonville, if they went out, 100% chance they are in. Uh, If any of the Southern Division teams went out, they are most likely in. But starting with Jacksonville, if they don't win out, either Houston or Indy wins out, that would get them the division championship. And those schedules, as we mentioned, Jacksonville plays Carolina and Tennessee, Houston plays Tennessee and Indy, and Indy plays Las Vegas and Houston. So only one of Indianapolis and Houston can win out, right? But if they do win out, Houston has a greater than 99% chance of making the playoffs. Indy has a 98% chance. So if either of those teams went out, if you get Houston, a Houston win this weekend over Tennessee, and you get a Indy win over Las Vegas, that Week 18 game is for a playoff berth essentially between the Colts and the Texans in week 18. Cincinnati, if they went out, they play the Chiefs and the Browns, tough tough road to hoe. If they went out, they have a 91% chance of playoffs and Pittsburgh has a 90% chance against Seattle and Baltimore, also a very tough road to hoe. So I don't think those teams will be the ones. Then you get a couple of seven and eight teams and the percentages decrease from there. But Las Vegas, if they went out, has a 64% chance of making the playoffs. If they beat Indy, and overtake them and just hang on against a Denver team who benched their quarterback in week 18, most likely Las Vegas is in at 9-8. and eight. Denver has a 20% chance, so I'm going to go ahead and just take them out of the conversation altogether. Plus, they bench their quarterback. Now, we do the picks every week, right? So what does Travis think will happen? I think if, if, 
If we were to get the two, with Buffalo winning in Week 18, I think it comes down to the Houston-Indy game. And if Indy wins, it would be the Raiders in that seventh spot. Unless the Colts beat the Raiders in Week 17, I picked the Raiders. But if Houston wins, then it would be Buffalo in that spot, assuming that Houston beats the Titans this week. Does that help sort things out for you? I think essentially the whole idea here is that most likely if you get the two seed, you're probably not going to face Buffalo in most scenarios because you can't just project who's going to win these games. Most likely you run into one of those teams. My picks are Las Vegas or Indy, I guess, of the most likely teams in those scenarios. I just keep thinking this is going to crystallize at some point, and I'd say that we'll all have a better idea after this week. At least we'll know that some teams will win, and that will give us if this happens, then that. But this is all to say it's pretty open. But again, win this week, and your chances of playing a non-Buffalo 9 or 10 win team in the first round or having a bye altogether is very, very, very high. Win this Sunday, you have a nice path laid out for you. Let's go ahead and finish this episode with the third segment hearing from head coach Mike McDaniel. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Coach McDaniel will bring us home on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. First, we have some injury updates. Tua Tungavailoa will play in the game on Sunday. Coach said that he banged his thumb on a Cowboys helmet in the first quarter of that game. Might explain, in addition to the Cowboys pass rush, some of the throws that were off target in that game. Jalen Waddell, however, will not play in the game. He has been ruled out. Robert Hunt, we'll see about him. He's going to be questionable for the game. Optimistic about Javon Holland, despite a questionable status for him. It sounds like he has a really good chance to play. Austin Jackson was not in the red non-contact jersey, nor was Chosen. And Mostert and Achan both will go in the game on Sunday as well. So good news on the Dolphins' injury front there. For the Ravens, not so much. They did get Zay Flowers back in practice on Friday, but Odell Beckham did not practice. Kyle Hamilton, going to miss the game on on Sunday, most likely. Brandon Stevens, likely to miss the game as well. Jalen Armour Davis and Arthur Millette, two players that are kind of the slot replacements for Kyle Hamilton, might not play in the game as well. So Baltimore, very, very banged up for this game, and the Dolphins getting some good news on the injury front. Let's go ahead and conclude this podcast with a few quotes here from Coach. I asked him about managing the emotions because in the NFL, right, every week is a test for every team because you're not always the same version of yourself. We talk about the Buffalo Bills. Every damn time they play the Miami Dolphins, they are on 12 out of 10 in terms of the effort and the just charged-up nature of their psyche heading into that game. But when they play the Chargers on the road on a short week in a primetime game that they're supposed to win, they can barely muster a victory in that game, and they're one third down stop away from losing that game. So with the managing of emotions on a week-to-week basis, how do you approach getting this team right after what was the biggest win of the year in a statement game with the Dallas Cowboys when you're facing a team in the Baltimore Ravens who also had their biggest win of the year in a win over the 49ers? Here's Coach. Each, each week's independent of itself. This one was really easy, really easy, um, just because the, the you, you know the challenge, you know you have a high regard for the team you're playing, um, and you you uh, you know we've been waiting the opportunity uh, to to play the the NFL's best is just that for us we're excited um, about that opportunity because that's as competitors that's what we want to do we don't we want to um, go against the best and put our best foot forward and see how it plays out so um, you know I think that is a le- definitely a legitimate question that's kind of you have to uh, you know, each 
there's different types of scenarios and a lot of times after a big win you have to feel you feel as though you have to manage um, the emotions because we have another big game in front of us this one was not not that way there there was a, a a lot of excitement about the win but once Wednesday started uh, the Dallas game could have been um, two or three months previous for all the players concerns they they uh, have been locked in at the task at hand two more here we'll go ahead and go back to the pass rush and coverage marriage together a a theme i've kind of made on the podcast throughout the course of the last two seasons here talking about how last year's pass rush pass rush pass rush was really good but the coverage didn't hold up its end of the bargain because of injuries on that back end but now this year you have very good cover guys playing for you all year long, which helps the pass rush get home. Here's Coach on the team nature of the Dolphins' pass rush that has set the franchise record in sacks and leads the NFL in QB hits. The sacks, the quarterback hits, um, that is a defensive stat, team defense, because um, to to be able to do that, of course the, the people that are getting the numbers deserve them. They're executing – um, pass rush with um, uh, whether it's just straight rush or there's games or uh, blitzes, all of those things, um, you know, they deserve all the credit they get. However, there's a coverage aspect to it that I speaks, I think speaks to the greater big picture of what the defense is doing on pass downs. Um, so much of that, uh, you know, what, what's really happening is, the, the interplay between coverage and pass rush is so tied together that guys are starting to feel how long um, they, they, they typically will have success if they can hold up. You can be aggressive in coverage in certain different ways um, so that because uh, realistically you know that there's going to be a quarterback off the spot after a certain amount of time. I think as a defense, that's a defensive stat. That has to do as much, uh, just as much with the pass rush as the coverage. Um, if there's blown coverages or um, leaky coverages, uh, some of those hits or sacks can be avoided. Uh, so I think that it's, it really speaks to everyone. The the amount of players that ha- like the, it's what I'm really really happy about with the Miami Dolphins team. Our, our team um, is a collection of people and a lot of people contributing. And um, when one guy goes down, another steps in and rises to the challenge. Um, so it's kind of a, the, the locker room that the players have built is, is really strong, and guys are playing well with each other. One last one here. No Jalen Waddle on Sunday. So Coach was asked about Chase Claypool's involvement, and he gave a very detailed answer about not only will Claypool see more reps, but how he's earned the right to do so. In practice, there's been an uptick in involvement, and particularly in this in this game, you know, it's it's for really everyone understands what Waddle brings to our team, um, and then understands that it's an opportunity for for playmakers to make plays in his absence. So, um, yeah, there has been he Chase has done an unbelievable job defining to me who he truly is the whatever narratives existed before all he's done here is chopped wood and gotten better and assimilated into a system that that isn't um necessarily easy and he's uh he's done it with um the intent of helping the team 
um, through the the uh, through selflessness. Um, it's been really cool to watch him define himself with his teammates um, and and take advantage of um, whatever opportunity is given. He he also did uh, had a couple really good plays in special teams last week, um, and yeah, I expect to see a little bit more of him too. Just want to do a, a quick minute on that because I see the complaints all the time. You have a big red zone body. Why don't you throw the, the fade to Chase Claypool? Why don't you throw some more screens to Chase Claypool? You heard Coach talk about there, an offense that's difficult for the receivers. They ask so much of the receivers in this offense, probably the most difficult position to come in here and play. And that's why you have guys like Trent Sherfield who knew the offense getting serious reps last year. River Craycraft, the exact same situation over a guy like Cedric Wilson who probably has more talent but was not as ad, uh, well-adversed in the Dolphins' offensive system. So to expect a guy to come in midseason and pick things up to be able to play a full complement of snaps, it's just not realistic. So for Chase to have the opportunity to earn more snaps and get the offense down and work his way into that position would speak of how wired he is in the correct way to make that happen and earn that opportunity. So I think if you get more Chase Claypool, it's great, but I think you should understand how difficult this offense is for a receiver to come in and pick up and just the expectation that he's can come in here and play because he's a big body or has good hands, whatever the case may be. It's not realistic in this offense. So something to keep in mind, that's the podcast. That's the week. The next time I talk to you guys, we'll either be division champs or we'll be playing a win and end game for the division in week 18. But either way, we'll talk to you guys on Sunday night following Dolphins and Ravens. Cannot wait for that one. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. Follow me on social at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out Seth and OJ, my post-game radio partners. They have the Fish Tank podcast with Lamar Miller out this week. Go back and check that out if you have not done so already. And also the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more. Last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline Cameron, you're not home, but daddy's coming home.